If you look at a lot of organisations, especially those who claim to be diverse, there's a lot of diversity at the bottom, in the middle, and then none at the top. You know, so how do we make sure that those diverse employees can progress up the ladder? Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm joined today by Chikare Ibokwe. Chikare is an experienced executive recruiter, facilitator, and she's also the founder of Inclusive, a DEI consultancy helping organizations build inclusion into their foundations. Chikare is passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's on a mission to make organizations more diverse and inclusive and to equip them with the know-how to be change makers. Chikare, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Brilliant, Mark. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for using your platform to amplify my voice. Well, my pleasure. And uh, I want to learn from you today. This is a topic which is important, but I feel like I don't know enough about. And so I want to learn from you. And I'm hoping that if I ask you the questions that I need um, to learn, then the audience will learn as well. So um, before we dive in, I just wanted to mention we both worked at TMP Worldwide in 2001, yes. although we didn't know each other at the time. Coincidentally, we were both senior consultants. Uh, you were in London in the HR practice. I was in the sales and marketing division in Edinburgh. Um, you know, it, what a small world uh, recruiting industry is. I know, Mark. And it's so funny because when I normally tell my story, I normally tell my story, I normally say to people that I sort of like fell into recruitment as we do. You know, isn't it funny that recruitment's not really a profession that many people, um, I guess, set out to do? We all fell into it, but it's something that I really loved and have always been really passionate about recruitment. Fantastic. And well, me too. And I wondered... Like what led you from being a recruitment consultant to the work you're doing today? Maybe some context would help. Would you share a bit about your story? Yeah, definitely. And this is what I love to do. I love to tell my story because I think it is really important for people to know who I am. So here it goes. This is my story. So I was born in Southampton, in Hampshire, to a Caribbean mother and a Nigerian father. My maternal grandmother came over from the Caribbean. She was part of the Windrush generation and she was a nurse and she worked in the NHS. So she was invited over by the British government. And obviously my mother came over with her. And my father, as I said, is Nigerian and he came over to study. Um, He was a mechanical engineer and was because he is retired. So he went to study at the University of Surrey, met my mother in Southampton and the rest is history. I was born, okay? Um, and for me, being of Nigerian, Caribbean descent, British born, is really important and it's part of my identity. And I guess we will talk about that a bit later on. But I came to London to go to university And loved how big and diverse and amazing London is. And I fell into recruitment and really loved recruitment. So when I did start to recruit for very, very senior HR professionals in a number of different sectors, one thing about HR, 
was, and I'm sure you will agree with me, is HR is full of women, full of amazing women, okay? And I remember when I used to go on client visits to visit, um, you know, chief people officers and HR directors, a lot of the time, you know, those people I would go and visit were men. And I always wondered why, you know, why? You know, because it's, you know, it's, you know, HR is full of amazing women. And Mark, funnily enough, I would very rarely see people who looked like me, okay? So people of colour in positions of, of power and influence. So for me, it was really important that as a recruiter, I knew that my role was quite a powerful role, okay? Um, my role was, you know, as a recruiter, I could really diversify an organisation. So I was on a mission to ensure that my my shortlist and talent pools were diverse. They were full of everybody, okay? And even now, it's so funny, I was looking looking at my um, my groups. I've got a number of groups that I set up many years ago on LinkedIn, you know, and these were diversity groups. So I have always been an advocate for all things diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think for a lot of people, last year, in the midst of the, this awful pandemic that is still ongoing, was a year that a lot of people woke up. It was as if we woke up. So think of it, Mark, sitting at home. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I'm scared because I was binge listening to the news. Mm -hmm. There was a time I was listening to news every hour. And I remember my husband saying to me, Chikare, that's enough. Stop binge listening to the news. Mark, I felt scared. Okay. And then we had the awful murder of George Floyd. And I had a lot of my clients and candidates and connections saying, this is terrible, Chikorei. What should we do? And I remember feeling really down about everything, thinking, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And then all of a sudden I thought, no, I'm going to use my platform to create change. And that was when Allyship was born. So Allyship is a community um, for allies to come together. And the key thing with, with, with the allyship community is that it is a safe community and a brave community. It really is important that we all come together, Mark, because what I say to people is this fight we are, we, you know, this fight we're on, this is not black versus white. This is everybody coming together to solve a big issue. And I think we've seen that most recently with the Marcus Rashford mural in Manchester that was defaced. Look how the community came together, okay? So I guess my whole diversity journey sort of like grew really from me being that recruiter wanting to make a difference to 2020 and now just really trying to ensure that you know, I use my platform to create change. Um, and then off the back of the allyship community, um, Inclusive was born. And Inclusive really is a DEI consultancy. Um, for me, what is really important is the whole thing about awareness, education and action. It really is important that we, we speak about these things. Because I really feel, Mark, that pre-2020, pre-George Floyd's murder, when we spoke about diversity, equity and inclusion, rightly so, we spoke about gender, rightly so, we spoke about sexual orientation. But I think that race was something that we never spoke about. And even now, when I do my allyship sessions or my anti-racism sessions, I always find that people are still very, very uncomfortable talking about race. Mm. And people are very uneducated as well. So for me, I'm on a mission to educate, really. I think that's what is really, really important. 
Amazing. I love that. Great. Uh, thank you for that that story. Um, beautiful. The ally, so the allyship community came first before the um, inc- inclusive consultancy. So yeah. tell me about the allyship community. Who is that for? And what is that? Can you talk more about what that is, what that is about? Yeah, definitely. Um, the allyship community is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think this is really important. But what, the sorry, communi- when you say everybody, like, uh, like, is it for professionals? Is it for companies? Organi- like who, who is the target audience for that? Is, is it in a, like a business context or? Yeah. So funnily enough, the allyship community is full of professionals. It's full of people. Um, so it's not really, I don't really have companies. It's more individual people who, who want to learn more, mm-hmm. who want to, um, discuss in a safe and brave space. So it's full of individuals. And at the moment, I think we're about nearly a thousand strong. Okay. Exactly. And part of the allyship community, I have the allyship book club because Mark, Mm -hmm. education is important on this journey. We need to ensure that we are continually Mm self-educating. So the bookshop was born off the back of the allyship community. And what I noticed was the hunger that people had for learning. You know, it's a safe community. People tend to ask an awful lot of questions, okay? And I just felt, you know something, we need to read more. So I set up the book club. So we meet on a monthly basis. We read a different book and a different theme each month. As you can imagine, it's Black History Month at the moment. Mm. So we are reading um, a book by an, a female African author. But each month we have a different theme and then we, 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 we meet um, it's normally the first Monday of each month at seven, between seven, seven from 7 p.m. to 8.30. We sometimes have a speaker, but we discuss the book. We discuss the themes in a safe space. Okay. Love it. And as I said to you, Mark, you know, that whole talking about race or talking about sexual orientation, they're the big topics that people want to talk about. And that's what I found. So um, I love it. So first of all, the book club is a cool idea. In our coaching uh, group, we also have a book club because I think, you know, leaders are readers. And uh, most of the people who I seem to attract also love reading and uh, and learning. So I've, um, that's a cool idea. Um, I'm going to ask some pretty basic questions, Chikare, if that's okay. Um, Definitely. And so first of all, what do you mean by a safe space what does that really mean in 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 terms of your allyship community yeah so obviously respect is really important Mm -hmm. but it's a safe space to come together and have a discussion a difficult discussion the last discussion we had was about white privilege and what white privilege means and as you can imagine you know i had someone say to me that he didn't like the term white privilege Mm. okay he told me it was racist towards white people Mm. so i really want people to feel comfortable enough to have these conversations because we have to have these conversations in order to understand terminology, understand the terms and really make a difference. And I guess for me, after having a conversation with him about white privilege and the meaning of white privilege, you know, he walked away much more confident and comfortable with the term. Mm-hmm. So when I say a safe space, it's a safe space to ask questions, okay, and have a discussion. But Mark, I also want 
the allyship community to be a brave space as well. Mm-hmm. Because as you can imagine, there are people of colour, there are people from the LGBTQ plus um, community who want to share their experiences. So I want them to feel brave enough mm. to share those experiences as well. Um, so it's a safe space for allies mm-hmm. to ask questions, no matter how silly it is. Mm-hmm. And it's a brave space, okay, to share, um, you know, previous and past experiences as well. Excellent. I, I like that because I f- feel like part of the inhibition that people feel about this conversation is they, is very, it's a charged conversation and it evokes strong feeling and people mm-hmm. are maybe cautious of saying the wrong thing or yes. being um, perceived in a negative light or not knowing what, you know, what the best way to t- even talk about this is. So it, it, mm. it, they maybe are intimidated. So it sounds like you are overcoming that mm. with your group. What does, again, this for maybe some people, this is a dumb question, but what do you mean by allyship? Mm. Allyship means an awful lot of things. Okay. And I think for me, allyship hasn't just got one definition. Okay. Allyship is immersing yourself in content from groups that are not your own. Allyship is learning, unlearning, relearning. Allyship is self-education. Allyship is listening. Allyship is having a discussion. And you know something, Mark? Allyship is also not being afraid to make a mistake Mm -hmm. because we're humans. And of course, we're going to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're going to say something. Okay. But it really is important that I really want people to understand that you will make a mistake. You will say something. Okay. But hey, own up to it. Apologize. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what I also say to say to people is that allyship is a journey. And I know this is going to sound really morbid. But allyship is a journey that never, ever ends because it's not the case that you will pick up a few books and read a few books, have a few discussions, and then, da I'm a fully-fledged ally. No. As an ally, you're constantly learning, relearning, unlearning. So that whole self-education is key. Mm. And you know something? Sometimes when I do these sessions, you know, people also put their own meanings of allyship as well. Mm. So allyship is an awful lot of things. So what I say to people is that, you know, in order to be a better ally, it really is important, that whole self-education piece, because the more we educate ourselves, Mark, the more we educate ourselves, Mm. the more we will be equipped to have these difficult discussions. Awesome. All right. That makes sense. So, um, so then what, why did you decide to actually turn this into a, into a business? Hmm. Well, what happened was with that after the um, allyship community, I just had an awful lot of organizations just saying, Chico, will you come and do a webinar or will you come and do a workshop? And for me, getting that message out there is really, really important. And then I thought that I could really make a difference. I can really use my platform to make a difference. And Doing something that I'm passionate about and that I love, okay, and I can really make a difference from, and I can also get paid paid for it as well, I thought, you know something, let me do that. And the thing about it, Mark, you know, I'm a black woman and I've got two amazing black teenage sons, okay? And I think for me, I really wanted to ensure 
that I was using my platform to create change, okay? What I have found is that the younger generation, Generation Z, they get it, regardless of their color. They just get it. Yeah, They're phenomenal. For sure. I, see, yeah, I see it in my son's friends, you know, who are black and white, you know, Asian. They get it, okay? It's the older ones that are finding this really this journey really really difficult so do you know something mark using my platform to create change for me i'm on a mission this means so much to me okay and i know mark i probably won't be able to i won't be able to make change in my lifetime but hopefully even if i can educate one person a week if i can make a difference to that one person a week then surely surely you know change will definitely happen at some point Amazing. I what you said about your teenage sons. I um I I've got a 17-year-old daughter and boy am I learning a lot from her. Like it just blows my mind the way she just thinks completely differently to me. So differently. And we, ha we have yeah. some very interesting dinnertime conversations, but mm. the problem mm. is she does not have young people are very certain of their viewpoint and don't have mm -hmm. patience for anyone who doesn't like you know uh instantly get what wh yeah. what she's yeah. and so yeah it's not a safe space for me i get in trouble yeah. constantly uh, but uh, but it's good though to her she's challenging yeah. you know and uh she really is passionate about it so um, yes I did a poll on LinkedIn recently to find out what fee percentage recruiters charge, and it confirmed what I'd learned from speaking with so many recruiters every day. The majority of recruiters are undervaluing their service and cutting their fees to become more competitive. Listen, if you want to protect your cash flow and build reserves to protect your business against whatever might happen in the future, you need to be earning more for each placement, not less. The challenge, of course, is how to increase your fees and still be competitive. iIntro has helped hundreds of recruiters to make small but critical adjustments to the way they pitch and win business, so they can win more clients who are also willing to pay higher fees. For example, one of their clients typically earned £5,000 per placement. But just a few weeks after working with iIntro, she won a new piece of business on a retainer, so in other words, she got a deposit, and her fee was an incredible £20,000, four times her average. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained and book a free consultation. There's no obligation. And if you mention that you're a listener of the Resilient Recruiter podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount off any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. So you've got this business. Now, <clears throat> I'd like to relate it specifically to my audience, which is recruiters, mm. particularly agency recruiters. So, you know, search firms, staffing agencies, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to corporate or, you know, uh, recruiters and uh, talent acquisition folks. Um, what does what do recruiters need to know about mm -hmm. diversity, equity, and inclusion in order to um, be change makers and mm. be part of this this movement? 
Yeah, definitely. Do you know something? I would say, first and foremost, the advantages of a diverse workforce, mm -hmm. okay? And then I will also say, okay, back to basics. Let's strip it back to basis, basics. Um, those initial, you know, let's start at the beginning, okay? Let's start with bias. Let's start with privilege and, and, and white privilege. Let's start with microaggressions, okay? I think it really is important. And then let's move on to terminology because there's no point jumping into complexity, like, oh, how do we recruit diverse talent if you don't understand the basics? Mm. So I always say to people, let's get back to basics, okay? And also, another thing I like to do is the why. Why are we doing this? Why are we having this conversation now? Why is this, why is this conversation important to your agency, to your consultancy, okay? What do you want to achieve? And how do you think you're going to achieve it? So let's just have that listening session. Let's, let's, let's go back to basics because I think there's no point us, you know, putting together this amazing strategy if you're still questioning the basics, if you don't understand the basics. So for example, Mark, if I had to say to you, Mark, you have white privilege. And then you say to me, Chikare, I don't have white privilege. I struggled. I this, I that. That tells me, Mark, that you don't understand the basics, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. If I say to you, Mark, do you understand what a microaggression is? Mm -hmm. And you say, uh, no. So we can't really create change if we don't know the basics. So let's just get back to the basics, mm -hmm. okay? Let's do that whole education and awareness and let me take you on a journey. As I said to you, it's a journey that never ends. Mm -hmm. So let's take our time to create change. Because I think the problem is, like, for example, I was speaking to somebody the other day and they were talking about blind CVs, okay? And I'm not a fan of blind CVs because what happens to someone like myself with a name like my name, after I get through one section, you still have to see me at some point, haven't you? Okay, so those biases are still there. So let's get back to basics. Let's have this discussion. Let's see what we can do. I want to come back to the blind CV thing because I think that's an interesting topic in itself. But okay, this is great yeah. because um, there is an increasing demand from especially larger organizations to have a more diverse and inclusive um, workforce. And mm -hmm. therefore, of course, recruitment agencies respond to that by thinking, okay, well, how, what's our strategy? How are we going to um, achieve that in order to win that business? We need to be up on this stuff. We need to have a strategy. And what you're saying, mm -hmm. actually, we need to start much more with fundamentals than that before you can actually mm -hmm. have any kind of um, offering for clients. You need to really educate yourself first and understand the mm -hmm. basics. Mm -hmm. Let's start with that. Am I understanding correctly? Definitely. Because you know something, Mark, there's a lot, there's a lot of performative action. And as you've actually said, mm -hmm. there's a lot of diversity talk at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So since the pandemic and George Floyd's murder, we've been talking, been having this diversity talk mm -hmm. and in particular about race, because race was something nobody felt comfortable. So I think we have to be careful with the whole performative talk. We have to be careful with doing something for show personship, for showmanship, for showwomanship. Yes. We have to be careful for doing it because Everyone else is doing it. So let's just scramble. Right. Let's try and do something. Uh -huh. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So we have got to be very, very careful about performative action. And that's what I mean by saying performative action. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So I think mm -hmm. we need to get back to basics. Mm -hmm. 
okay, that I understand that. And you're right. It's a kind of, oh, we don't want to get left behind. So we better exactly. have something to say on this topic. Um, mm -hmm. Rather, and so maybe it's 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 thinking about it the wrong way around. Why do you think race has been such a touchy subject that people are uncomfortable talking about? Do you know something? I often wondered that. Okay, I just think, especially in the United Kingdom, we don't really talk about race. We're not as vo vocal as maybe. North, you know, North Americans are, mm -hmm. okay? We don't feel comfortable talking about race because I think a lot of people think, oh, if I talk about race, that means I'm not racist. And that's why we get those kind of people saying, I don't see colour and colourblind. There's only one race, the human race, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And I think the problem with that is we are just not comfortable. And if we look at the history of the United Kingdom, think of it. Think of the transatlantic slave trade and everything else. Yes. We are not taught that in schools, Mark. Yeah, true. We're not taught about it. And even recently, my son, he was studying, you know, he's a human, he, he does humanities. Mm -hmm. So he did GCSE history and A-level history, and he still wasn't taught about the transatlantic slave trade. And I think it really is important. So I think the problem is, number one, we don't know the, our history, and in particular, the history of this country. And we don't like to talk about race because we think we are all, you know, we are not racist, okay? When, as we can see, there's an awful lot of racism in this country. Mm -hmm. Look at look at what's happening in, in football, Yeah. okay? So I think the problem do you, is... Do you want to explain that just for people who are not... We've, I've got quite a few listeners in the States, for example, who maybe don't follow right. football. Could you just uh, right. explain what has happened recently with that? Yes. Yes, definitely. So there was a big tournament in the United, in, in Europe, actually. Um, it was the Euros 2020, okay? And we had it this year because of the pandemic. And the England football team are so diverse. They are a phenomenal group of individuals led by a great manager, okay? And they're full of um, black and brown and white footballers. And they have done, ex they did extremely well. They got to the finals against Italy. And after full time, I think the score was 1-1. Mm -hmm. And obviously we needed the winner. So they played, um, they played extra time. I don't know if it was, I can't remember if it was 30 minutes or 45 minutes. But anyway, it went to penalties. And some of the players who took the penalties um, were black, three black players. And they missed the penalties and it was disastrous it was absolutely awful and they were vilified they were racially abused and it was absolutely horrendous mm, okay I remember. for me mark mark do you remember that mm -hmm. i remember feeling distraught yeah and you know something mark even when i talk about it now i still feel really really distraught mm -hmm. and i think the problem was that mm -hmm. they they did so well they got to the finals. This was the first time in how many years yeah. did they get to a final? Okay. And they were vilified. So they were racially abused mm -hmm. in the papers, on social media, you name it. Mm -hmm. And one of the players, um, his name is Marcus Rashford. Yeah. There was, there's amazing Muriel mm -hmm. um, in his hometown of Manchester. And that was defaced. Mm -hmm. But you know something, what was so amazing about that situation was the way the community came together and put these little stickers on them, on, on the mural covering 
the the horrendous race racist abuse that he got mm-hmm. and for me mark that was a sh- that that was a showing of allyship mm. because we saw the community come together it wasn't just black and brown people it was white people with everybody coming together so um yeah i mean that gives me that you know that makes me happy when i see things like that because i know that there're more people in the united kingdom who want change to happen and who are not racist mm-hmm. but i still think there's a long way to go mm. and i think we need to openly discuss have a have a discussion about race mm. i've had people saying to me before mark oh i can't call you a black woman because black is a derogatory bad word so if we can't even you know in terms of terminology if we don't understand terminology and if you can't call me a black woman you have got a long way to go and that's what i'm trying to say let's go back to basics before we start putting up all these big strategies about recruiting yes we need to start at the beginning and that's why i said to you mark that self education is really really important mm-hmm. okay so the word person of color mm-hmm. and the word black we can use it cuz i use them both okay i think the problem with the word black there's still people who feel very uncomfortable using that work mm-hmm. that word mm-hmm. but also the word person of color okay think of all the people it it captures it captures mm-hmm. anyone who is not white right. okay mm-hmm. So when we talk about person of color it captures obviously black people and brown people and age basically anybody who is not white mm-hmm. but the word black captures somebody like myself who is black mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah. mm-hmm. you know so you know we can use both words but i think we just need to understand you know those words and you know something mark i just want to put it out there mm-hmm. you know calling somebody black is not a derogatory term at all because i am black mm-hmm. you know that is my you know that's who i am so mark as you said you you know you grew up with the word black but a lot of people didn't great awesome so if we're getting back to basics then mm. to kirei what is where do we start we start with self education mm-hmm. okay we need to have discussions also as i said to you in a safe space mm-hmm. organizations need to have safe spaces whether they're facilitated by external facilitator or internally but they need to be able to have these discussions mm-hmm. in a safe space and a brave space as well okay mm-hmm. so how do your employees color feel what are their experiences okay how do your white employees feel what are their experiences what are they afraid of okay So we need to be able to have these discussions mm. first and foremost. And as I said to you, that self-education is important. It's up to you to put the work in, okay? It's up to you. You need to get yourself educated. You need to get yourself reading. Mm-hmm. You need to start listening to podcasts and when you start watching documentaries and, and and films, it's up to you to put the word in. Being an ally is a verb mm. it's a doing word mm. okay so the onus is just not on the people of color the onus is on the white people as well to educate themselves it really is important and it's important that we can have these discussions respectfully in a safe space okay excellent i love the idea of taking personal responsibility and ownership um mm-hmm. for because that really pertains to everything in life that is mm. a requirement of being a successful mm-hmm. individual um mm-hmm. and so and t- education but then in terms of having the discussion like is this 
a discussion that should happen in the workplace or is it outside like what is the what is the appropriate forum for that discussion to take place? Mm, mm. I definitely think it should happen in the workplace. Mm -hmm. If organisations are pushing the agenda, mm -hmm. okay, and we've seen that everybody's pushing the agenda, and that's why I said to you, Mark, we've got to be careful that this is not just performative, this is just not talk, mm -hmm. because everyone else is doing it. So as an organisation, if you're pushing that agenda, you need to have these discussions, okay? Right. And... You need to be able to facilitate these discussions. Mm -hmm. And that's the key thing. Okay. So I think definitely organizations need to drive that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fantastic. What are the, so could, what are the questions that we should be asking ourselves um, in order mm. to move forward here? I always say the why. Yeah. Mark, why are we having this conversation? Mm -hmm. Why are we talking about it now? Mm. Why is it important? What do we need to achieve? What do we need to do? Mm -hmm. So just very, very simple. The why, the what, and then the how. How are we going to do it? Mm. Just simple. Cool. And even if it takes us a couple of conversations, and it probably will do, mm. Because as you can imagine, at first, when I do these when I facilitate these conversations, they're very quiet. Okay, really? Very, is that right? What? They are very. So, if I say, Mark, Mark, I would say, why are we having this conversation? Mm. Why is this conversation important to you as an organisation? Mark, it's just so quiet. Everyone's like head down, <laughs> looking around. <laughs> no one knows what to say. And then I remind everyone, this is a safe space. This is a brave space. And then. You know, people start to talk, but at first it is very quiet. And that's why sometimes we need two or three. Yeah, absolutely. Because nobody well, knows what to say. Do you know what, though? <laughs> I, that may not. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's partially the topic, but also when I run workshops, I find if I just ask a question of the group that they then you have certain dominant characters who like to talk who who share mm -hmm. but a lot of people are quiet so what i've found mm. is if i tell people either in advance to say okay i want you to come to this meeting with having thought about this topic and with ideas to contribute um mm -hmm. then some and and they feel more prepared then sometimes that opens um opens mm. things up a bit so mm. um okay so that makes sense. Why, what, and then how. So that, that's mm -hmm. great. And what are the what are those basics that people well, first of all, when you ask that question why and they finally get talking, what are some of the answers that um you know, what are what are people saying to that? Goodness gracious. Because it's the right thing to do. Mm. Okay. Okay. What do you mean by it's the right thing to do? That was the first because one that popped. Start. That's the first thing that popped <laughs> into my head, actually. It was, you read my mind. Okay. okay. He said, Mark, why is it the right thing to do? Right. Why wasn't it the right thing to do pre-COVID, pre-George Floyd? Right. Think of it, Mark. You've got to remember, and you know this, George Floyd wasn't the first black person mm. to die in such a traumatic way. Yeah. So what made his death an awakening for the world? Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So, yes, we know it's the right thing to do, but why wasn't it the right thing to do, um, you know, two years ago, five years? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Why? 
But so there's lots in you know it. It makes people think, doesn't it? Mm. But sometimes you, you know. ask why, like you, you never really get why is one of those questions where you never really get to the bottom of it because it's a bit like you know climate change. Why wasn't twenty years yes. ago the right time? Yes. To but mm. it's it's mm. almost like you need a critical. Um, what's I don't know if there's the right term, but a critical mass of people thinking on the right on mm -hmm. the same wavelength mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before it mm -hmm. kind of um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And do you know something, Mark? Sometimes I wonder if it was not for the pandemic, mm. would we have in this discussion? Mm. Was, it, was it the fact that we were all at home and we actually saw it? Yeah. I don't know. So even though the pandemic has been absolutely awful and it still continues to be, what the pandemic has done, it has highlighted, yeah, highlighted mm -hmm. injustices mm. in our world in our societies, in our organizations, mm -hmm. within our communities, and within ourselves as well. Mm. That's true. There has been some real positives that have come out of it. Mm. What, um, I mean, I think the deep, so there's, a, there's a, a sort of moral philosophical component to this conversation, but then you can also look at research showing that diverse organizations perform better and are more profitable. So then there's a commercial uh, reason why as well. Mm. Um, and that is probably the one that motivates business people the most is, you know, how, how does this impact the performance of the business, the profitability and so on. And so I think like when we're thinking about the why question, that's one that definitely needs to be talked about as well. Mm, um, mm. Are there any other whys that, you know, come up frequently? Yes, definitely. Um, someone said to me recently, you know, we never spoke about race. Race was something I was never comfortable speaking mm -hmm, about. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel it really is important that we start to have this discussion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So... As you were saying as well, yeah, of course, you know, diverse companies outperform those that are not diverse. But I also think that it's more than just putting diverse candidates or diverse employees into an organization. How do we nurture them? How do we make sure that they're, you know, they can be their true authentic selves? How can we make sure that, that, that when they're within an organization, they flourish? Mm. Okay. Because if you look at a lot of organizations, of especially those who claim to be diverse, there's a lot of diversity at the bottom in the middle mm. and then none at the top. Right. You know, mm -hmm. so how do we make sure that that diverse, those diverse employees mm. can progress up, up the ladder? Totally. Yeah. That's, that you know, how true. do we do that? Mm. So there's so much more. And this is what I say. This is, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Mm -hmm. This will take time, mm -hmm. you know, so, just take your time and do things right mm -hmm. and understand why you're doing it and why it's important. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. 
Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Let me ask you a, because when it comes to recruiting, which is, you know, my background, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. can I raise an objection that I've heard that I would Mm -hmm. love to get your perspective on? So um, I think there's sort of two, well, there's probably more than two camps, but there's the people who totally are advocates for whether they understand exactly why or what or how they're going to do it. They, Mm. they, they get and are in agreement with the idea that we should be striving for more diverse shortlists and more diverse companies and so on. Mm-hmm. But then there's mm-hmm. the counter argument that don't we just want the very best person for the most qualified person for the job? That person should get the job and, you know, regardless of their, you know, race or or uh, gender or, you know, Etc. What What's your thoughts on that? That's where the concept of privilege comes in. Mm. Mark, as a person of colour, if I've never had the opportunities, okay, mm-hmm. to be the very best person because of, as we know, all the biases and systemic racism mm-hmm. that is within our organisations, okay, how can I be the very, very best person if I was never, ever given the chance? Yeah. How? How is that ever going to be possible? Yeah. If right from day dot, I graduated from university, my white peers got on fine, they found a job, and I'm still looking. So if I was never given that opportunity, because that's another thing I hear, Mark, I hear people saying, oh, we haven't got enough diverse talent, because diverse talent was never given the opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. You know, that's the whole concept of privilege. Mm -hmm. That, you know, the inequalities in our society, in our world, Mm -hmm. because diverse talent were never, ever given the opportunity. So, yes, we need the best candidate, but we also need to start opening the doors. We need to start ensuring that everybody has got a chance. Okay, and the problem is we haven't got enough talent Because, you know, the talent was never nurtured. Diverse talent was never nurtured. So it's a case of, oh, I can't find any diverse talent because diverse talent was never nurtured, was never given the opportunity. It's what you're describing is, uh, as you said, if there are not, for example, um, C-level executives who Mm -hmm. are are people of color, Mm -hmm. then, Mm -hmm. and you're only looking for people with a very specific profile, then you're not going to have a diverse shortlist because, and which perpetuates the whole thing. Um, so what? So I, I that makes total sense to me. Um, we need to, if you believe diversity is important, that equals you need to create more opportunities for diverse talent, and you need to uh, nurture people in order to. Um, 
create more diversity at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there's that's a long term thing, and people don't think long term; they think short term. They think I need I need mm-hmm. to hire you know a, a a CEO or a CFO or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So what is the what is this or what are some of the solutions? Because you know mm. um, it's not it's not an easy problem to solve. Mm. No, not at all. And you know something, Mark? I don't want people to think, oh my gosh, there's no diverse talent out there. Mm. That diverse talent is out there. Totally. Okay. Yeah. And the thing about diversity recruitment, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time. Okay. And as I said to you in the beginning, okay, I used to go out my out of my way to recruit diverse talent. I had my groups right. on LinkedIn that are still there. That's awesome. Let's talk about that actually, because I think you've hit the nail on the head. The problem is yes. It takes more time and effort. You have to intentionally go to find diverse talent mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not just do your usual, you know, oh, we need to fill this job fast, you know, and follow your normal process. There has to be additional things that you do. Um, mm-hmm. And in, you know, when people have targets to meet and are under deadline pressure from clients and so on, then just human nature, they take the easiest, shortest route to get there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. tell me about when you were a recruiter, because that was even before this really was a hot topic. Mm. And you just... Before it was a thing. Yeah. yeah. And so mm. what were some of the ways in which you went out of your way to ensure that you were um, introducing more diverse talent mm-hmm. to your clients? Yeah, definitely. So what I used to do is I, as I said to you, I've got a number of groups that are still very much alive on LinkedIn. So for example, I have got a black woman in fintech group. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And for example, I would create that book, that that group rather, and I engage the group. Mm -hmm. So we would have um, roundtable events, Okay, we would have, um, we would have meetings and networking and workshops. You know, I think that's a key thing. So the more the group knew they were getting something out of it, the more they will invite their friends. Yes. Okay. So a tiny group of one person, you know, that tiny seed initially planted grew into like hundreds of people. Okay. So the more you engage the group, you make sure they're opportunity. So I recruited very senior HR professionals. Okay. You advertise jobs on there. And th- one thing you've got to remember, Mark, especially now, Clients want to engage with um, recruiters who are going all out on that whole diversity front. So surely this will make you stand apart from your competitors. Totally. Oh, absolutely. So, you you know, so what I would do if I was any recruiter listening, thinking, oh, my goodness, where can I start? It doesn't have to be anything huge. You can just start small, just create a group on LinkedIn, have a look, in fact, have a look at your database and invite some of your diverse talent, you know. So what are you going to, are you you focusing on race? Are you focusing on gender? Are you focusing on, I don't know, sexual orientation? Particularly, I I think it's a genius idea, but I would feel, and for you, I understand that is a totally natural thing to do. I, if I started a group for black women uh, in fintech, I would feel fraudulent doing that because I am not a mem I'm not a member of that group myself so to me that I can totally see the value of that 
but I can't see how I would personally be able to leverage that avenue um, to build a network. I don't know. I'm a bit stuck on that. Well, that's the whole concept of allyship, surely. Okay. Isn't the whole concept of allyship is that we immerse ourselves in content from groups that are not our own. Yeah. You know, we talk about an ally being in a more um, a more powerful position mm. and an ally using their platform. So if I was a white recruiter mm-hmm. and I wanted to recruit, I don't know, more people of color, mm-hmm. surely I would use my platform to create these groups and promote these groups. Because I think the problem, the issue we have at the moment, the people who are in positions of influence, mm-hmm. privilege and power, a lot of those people don't look like me, Mark. Okay, so if you are a person in that position, if you are an ally, Mm -hmm. and this is what I was saying, we need to get back to basics Mm -hmm. and we need to understand these simple terminologies, but that is what an ally does, okay? And if this whole um, diversity, equity and inclusion means a lot and you really want to make a difference, Mm -hmm. okay, we need more people like you, Mm. you know, to amplify voices. We need more people like you to make a difference, Mm. Okay, so as an ally, that's what I expect allies to do. Okay, that's cool. Maybe that's just, it's uh, <laughs> getting outside your comfort zone. And it uh, is. yeah, okay, all right, fine. So, Chikre, awesome. So, we've talked about um, going out of your way and making that extra effort to build diverse shortlists. And for a whole variety of reasons, that's a, a good idea. But if nothing else, that will be a differentiator for your recruitment business if you truly are not just um, you know talking about it, but you actually have put real steps in place to first of all educate yourself, your team, and then to um, you know have real strategies to to back that up. What else, like besides starting groups, what other avenues do you think are maybe underutilized or overlooked for recruiters to be part of this um, process? Do you know something? Our databases, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember when I was a recruiter, how many passive candidates did we have in our database? Mm -hmm. Our brand, you know, I think there's so many ways we can do that. Surely we can get candidates to see the journey we're on. Mm. This is what we're doing. We're not going to profess that we know it all, but this is where we're starting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'll definitely say our database, the company we work for, our brand. Okay. Maybe having discussions with a great client, Mm -hmm. partnering up with that client. What is that client doing? So there's so much we can do. Mm. So I would really say don't overcomplicate it. Basic, just start start slowly and take things that way. Mm. And don't forget to educate yourself because the more you educate yourself, the more equipped you will be in having these conversations. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Let's talk. go back to uh, the blind CV idea because I mm. think uh, I was surprised that you didn't like that idea because I've, I thought the purpose behind it was to remove unconscious bias from not over like obviously if the person who's interviewing is racist then it's not going to help you because when you get through to the interview round then they might disqualify you at that stage but what it's i think the intention behind it is 
for someone who is wants a diverse workforce and may have even unconscious bias, then maybe taking the name Chikure Ibakwe off the resume does help because it gets her to the next round. Um, I don't know what that was. That was my understanding of it. What do you think? So what happens when you get through to the next round? We know that there's bias all through the recruitment process. Mm -hmm. And if there's bias at that initial step, that you've got to take my name off. Mm -hmm. So fair enough, I've been shortlisted. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what is the next process? The next process, you've got to see me. And what do you see? You see a black female. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I feel, Mark, if there's bias that you have got to take my name okay, off, mm -hmm. what happens in the next process and the process after that? And that's why I'm not very keen. Mm, I, I'm not keen. I hear what I'm you're not saying, keen on it at but all. But I, I just wonder if it's better. It, it's not a perfect solution, of course. But no, then it's not. Of can you ever complete remove bias? No, from you any, can't I mean, because we're humans. Exactly. Nope. So, but does and it... We all have bias. Yeah. 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 And in fact, uh, now I don't know, Malcolm, do, do, have you read Malcolm Gladwell? He's uh, one of my favorite authors. Um, he's written a, a, a lot of um, really interesting books. Um, hmm. But um, he talked about a study and I, I, I heard subsequently that this study has been debunked, but it was quite compelling about the yeah. number of male um, professional musicians in world-class orchestras mm. is um, is predominantly men traditionally even mm -hmm. though in general people playing instruments is quite balanced men and women are all performing at a high level as musicians but for some reason the top orchestras tend to be male dominated and they started right. allowing people to audition behind a screen so that mm. the but of course the the per people who are selecting the musicians said, absolutely not. We're not, you know, um, sexist. We'll, you know, we're just looking for the best players, but they kept mm. choosing men. But then when they were auditioning behind a screen, more and more women started getting, uh, getting a place in the, in the orchestra, mm. Mm -hmm. which just shows that how powerful these biases can be. Um, mm. So I don't think we can ever really get rid of that, but what, no. So if the blind CV is not a solution, is there any other things that companies and recruiters should be doing in order to combat this? I just think, you know, we all need to be aware of our biases, mm -hmm. okay? And we need to understand that biases exist because I always say that we all have bias. I have bias, you have bias. We're humans, we're not robots. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I think what, if we think of the types of bias that are, are rife in recruitment, it's affinity bias really, isn't it? It's recruiting people who are like us, you know, who look like us, who went to the same university, possibly, mm -hmm. who who comes from the same area. Mm -hmm. So that's why you find. Um, I remember when I used to recruit, and sometimes you get a client, you know, when you get feedback from an interview, yep. and the client would say, not the right cultural fit. Mm. What does that mean? Right. What is the right? Do you see what I mean, Mark? Mm -hmm. What does that mean exactly? Mm that person's not the right cultural fit, does that mean that person will not get on with the existing team? Mm -hmm. Because the existing team is full of everyone who are the same, okay? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think the more we have these conversations, okay, the more we are all aware of our own biases and work on our biases, okay, the more we can hopefully, okay, interview, shortlist, recruit, 
people from our, not our own groups, be it colour, be it gender, be it sexual orientation. But I think there's a long way to go. And you know something, Mark, I think you're right, you know, Blind CVs is a start, but as I said, I'm not a great fan mm -hmm. because what happens the next the next step, mm -hmm. as we know, you know, you see me. So what happens to the bias there, you know, and I guess another way is putting on um, more diverse interview pan panels. Yeah. That could be another way mm -hmm. of getting, the rid getting rid of the bias. But I just think we have a long way to go. But the fact that we're having this conversation is great. Totally. Because yeah. that means we want change to happen, don't we? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Sikare, this has been a really fun conversation. You have an infectious personality that's uh, like you just exude energy, which uh, which I love. Thank you. What, um, if people would like to learn more about your work, where's the best website for them to visit? Yeah, definitely. I would say, so I've got two websites you can have a look at. So it's the Allyship web website, www.allyship.co.uk. But you can also have a look at um, my inclusive website and inclusive is spelt with a C. Okay, just to confuse, there's two C's rather than the S at the end of the C, inclusive.co.uk or reach out to me on LinkedIn. You know, I'm always ready to have a discussion as well. I'm very open. I think the more people we have out there, uh, more allies, the more change can happen. So yeah, please do reach out to me. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tikare. And I'm... Uh fun talking to you again and look forward to doing this again thank soon thank you thank you mark and thank you for having me thank you so much for listening to the resilient recruiter if you've enjoyed the show the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button thanks again and i'll see you next time